0: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and AlanWattSentinel.eu. It is June the 8th, 2007. This recording might be a little bit noisy because I've got a thunderstorm raging at the moment with some high winds, with lots of rain lashing against the house and I'm watching the trees bend trees which shortly I'll be taken down because as some of us do now the weather has been owned by a certain air force for some years now this is the weather warfare which has been widely written about by top scientists in the employ of governments who once in a while like to boast, as all good psychopaths do, because they really crave attention for all the hard work they put in, and they love praise for their own ingenuity. Old technology really is just as kept quiet from the public, especially this kind of technology which is to be used and is being used to superheat the atmosphere cause droughts, floods, famines and all the pestilence and so on that will come in the future not too far down the road until we're all convinced that we are the problem and we must change our entire way of living the solutions of course have already been written out for us so if you hear any background noise you'll know what it is I don't live inside a waterfall at the moment the power has gone on and off a few times already within the last hour and therefore it's taken a while to piece this talk together this eventually will become the new norm And we will adapt very quickly to it As we're told That there's just not enough energy to go around And we'll have to cut back Like rationing The same will happen eventually with food And once one generation accepts rationing with food The next ones grow up into another world Where a world government will Give them so many credits for food At the beginning of every week And those credits will be used up, or they will vanish at the beginning of the following week. You won't be able to save them up in this beautiful world for the masses, where, as Orwell said, some are more equal than others in such utopias. There's always been hierarchies down through history, the dominant minorities, as they call them, And they don't simply vanish when empires fall. In fact, they've been moving out of their empires into the next one they've built down through history. And that's because, that's why we have the same system of money, money issuance, debt, debt collection. It's not learned from one to the next. It's implemented by the ones who control at any given time. They carry it forward. in the days of the Egyptian priesthoods they used to primarily when they were at the height of their power weigh silver silver really was used extensively before gold they'd weigh out the gold weights and measures was used that was being standardised by the Phoenicians in about 800 BC, coin was made for the first time. Coin was then issued and weighed. That's why each coin had to have so much ounces of gold or silver or whatever contained within. The British pound was based on the same thing, even the pennies. The old pennies were had 240 pennies to the pound of copper before they change it to the new pence. every change in currency always means devaluation which means that you pay more in reality but your wages don't go up That standard again depressions are brought on for that purpose to increase prices to change the currency to fool the public And we accept it because we have no option but to accept it And we never will have an option to accept changes like this If we believe that we're only here to work, produce and consume For reward, personal reward Of course, the the only difference being In overt slavery systems of ancient times The slave masters used to have to Employ people who were given better standards of living they were given wives concubines and so on for the military to stay in the military they got extra privileges more freedoms to look after and be the bosses over the slaves but that still was not really terribly productive if you're a slave you know you're a slave therefore you don't produce much you won't put your your will into what you're doing you'll take your time and you won't produce the best so once you believe you're working for yourself you put more into it especially when you're trained to believe that you can get up the ladder and that the sky is the limit that's the greatest joke of all in all ages civilization this strange word which really has many definitions depending on who you're talking to goes hand in glove with the monetary system and a dominant minority with their helpers, then the people down below without the monetary system you could not have standing armies necessary who police the people within their own countries too in all ages to keep everyone in check to keep a particular one type of system going civilization has been defined as being brutal because it's really a system a system whereby long, long ago psychopaths, deviants took over and slaughtered people around them and through fear made those people or by fear made those people work for them magicians have used the same tactics of religion whereby They would curse the crops and curse the people That kind of fear is also a psychological warfare type Which works very well in all ages It's still working today Even with the new age What is also interesting is that This particular system that's come down through thousands of years which became the dominant system out of a few kinds of living societies most ancient societies being communal or tribal this system which does believe from a psychopath's perspective that the psychopath being the dominant minority, the aggressor, who rules the lesser as those who are timid and afraid, the so-called normals. This justifies their belief in this being the natural order. That's where eugenics comes from, really. That's why they've always inbred Not just to keep power within families, but to also spread a particular bloodline or gene, really, we call it today. The genetic material, whereby, as I said in ancient times, you could breed people like animals to breed certain traits in or out of them. This was taken up by certain philosophers, the most famous in this particular area at least to the public's knowledge being Plato he also justified this particular elite that he belonged to ruling over the rest because they were enlightened they could see through the cons which they made themselves the con casting the spell over the public who'd never figured things out our lives are pretty short really people don't Wiseen up in this hurried life. If they ever do, not all people do wiseen up ever. Until they're they're old, they're they're beyond the the years of worry, scary, and trying to find out who they are. By the time you figure out anything, you've had about three divorces behind you. Other failed relationships Today, God knows how many jobs you'll have and lose on the way As they lay off And retrain and all this kind of stuff But really from childhood onwards you're, You're bunged into schools Again, with certain formats, universal formats To train your mind And you don't know who you are at a very young age you're not really learning and yet that's the vital age for questioning things for yourself you're not given the chance to question for yourself you're told how things are how they should be how they will be and if you want to get along you accept it you're often in the past in some countries in the present made to recite national anthems and stand in odd gestures that go back to egypt and uh, parrot your dedication to a symbol Which you had no decision making in That actually made it in the first place Or even a system that you had any say in creating Jefferson, who was an initiate Along with many others in the US Founding fathers of illumined ones And all masons of all names and titles and groups uh, use the same terms illumined uh, educated beyond the norm is really what it stood for that's why you have alumni today in universities it's always been here those in the dark are the uneducated those who don't know standard education up to high school was just to give you a basic grounding and the necessities to make sure that you were a good worker and producer he didn't get into anything beyond that and again going back to ancient times it was money and a form of slavery which produced not only a dominant minority but it also produced the leisure class of thinkers that could then figure things out as to how to maintain power for future generations within their own families. The understanding of things, as they call it. The nature of things, as ancient philosophers called it, a title that Suzuki's program on wildlife still uses today. A leisure class comes out when you have people working and doing all the necessities for you. I don't think I have to tell anyone who's listening to me how quickly a day goes at work and just maintaining yourself, just feeding yourself, if you still cook for yourself, that is, and do your washing up and all the other things you have to do. We rush through lives. We don't have the leisure. We don't have other people doing it all for us. We don't have time to sit and converse at leisure and at perfect ease with a peer group to discuss weightier matters of the world yet this was done thousands and thousands of years ago and the format was to introduce money into tribal areas, dominate them amalgamate them and call them nations and still dominate them nothing has really changed the reason nothing really does change regardless of the system they call it whether it's communism, capitalism socialism or any other ism is because it's all based on reward which is money or tokens money is just a token something you're meant to believe in and if everyone else believes in it it can work simply because you accept it. It doesn't matter what money is, what you use it, for, or what kind of material you use for money. It doesn't matter at all. Be it seashells or porcupine quills or marbles as long as the people believe in it that's the trick that's the con game in days gone by conquerors did not just go in with armies they they did preparations long beforehand they would in fact send priesthoods to evangelize long before Christianity and during Christianity we know it was used then like the softening up crew it it helps to prepare the minds of the public not to defend themselves by introducing rules and laws and and wills of gods then later on comes the military that backs up the same priesthood the priesthood often having a base somewhere else a main base, a focus The priesthood of course also brings in the monetary system which it then forces the people with the help of the army to use bartering then ceases or is forbidden gradually taxation is introduced and wages are introduced in this fashion the dominant minority can control the economics of every individual money itself is not the key or the end it's a means to an end money is something which the general public must be taught to believe in in order to cooperate once gen- one generation accepts it the next one is born into it and thinks because it exists it must be that the only natural way to be We are at a stage today, and have been for a long time, where, through taxation, we have funded uh, extremely advanced weaponry in the sciences, which some of which are being used, other ones were actually developed, not primarily to war against other people, but to use across the whole world on the general public. Back in the 90s In the British newspapers and may have been the Daily Mail A journalist was allowed into Port and Down's a Military establishment where They have laboratories for bacterial and viral warfare And he sat around as these guys came in in the morning And listened to their morning chat When they casually con verse with each other and mentioned that they had weapons which could identify specific genes and genotypes viruses which could be released reproduce so many millions of times and then they're programmed to cease reproduction once their job is over they're so far ahead of anything we're told It's staggering and it's also frightening to realize that our money, our labor is going in to the development and has been for such a long time of such incredible means of mass destruction which all the big United Nations members actually have some have more advanced than others That's the only difference. We keep hearing about the plagues, the coming plagues. All the top scientists come on television once in a while and tell us it's inevitable, it's just around the corner. As they prepare our minds, that yes, we will get pandemics and disease breakouts, but these diseases will be from laboratories. People under attack people who are frightened and panicking turn to the governments for answers they ask to be saved by the very people at the top who cause the problems that doesn't mean to say that everyone in government knows what's going on they know better because they're lesser psychopaths they know not to ask certain questions of those above them but they definitely serve the Masters who do know, who do plan this future whenever they talk about preventing something it's way too late the things have been created and tested and are ready it's the same with this whole ban the, the, the space weaponry movement that's going on it's a bit late when we're doing it in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s up to the present time They've already done it, you see It has been accomplished We are living at The end of this particular cycle of things The end of this era When things must be changed And the new era brought in The new way The new deal I love new deals and new ways we will be made to evolve scientifically into a more efficient population that's what is left that is eventually to serve our elite hidden masters the plan is to bring us through great changes with weather modification with economic problems with pandemics while for a long time in fact the United Nations has been dishing out rules and regulations which have been implemented by most countries to do with water food and all the things you need for survival this was all coordinated together to bring it all about for the right time which is pretty well now so get used to it get used to all the hype you'll hear on television about the odd strange weather, the catastrophic here with uh, sudden microbursts of energy coming from the sky and trees go down I've already had a few go down while I've been doing this show the winds just came up, lasted about two minutes and down went some trees and I know there's some down on the road because I can see them from here that's what we're going to get used to the mayhem the chaos which will bring in a new order Ordo Ab Keo. the big depression of the 20s and 30s which really only ended with World War Two, was manufactured there was no surprise at all at the 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 banking establishment at the top it it was no surprise it was orchestrated between the big bankers and what was the embryo of the League of Nations which brought in the United Nations to bring in a new type of currency currency doesn't matter current means what's current it's a flow how something flows the trickle down comes from the stream the current, which the big boys create, although it's mainly in your mind, then they can stop that flow at any time. Back in the thirties, they they closed all the banks. When Roosevelt came in, and uh, they called it a holiday. They love these double speak words because it's a fuzzy word. A holiday is a good thing, as they reintroduced the money, confiscated the gold and gave you money back with nothing. Not that it matters what backs it or doesn't. It was for their benefit at the top, not for the people's. And so was the gold before that for those at the top. So it's not a matter of returning to something. Money itself is a con game. It's anti-human, with winners and losers, and very crafty people at the top, who run it all. The following is the speech given by FDR, who had worked for the banks before he became president, and who knew the agenda. He came from a long family tree of politicians. Listen to the speech carefully, because you will, when the time is right, hear one similar being given by Whatever current President or Prime Minister Happens to be in Vogue at the time The names will be irrelevant Because they're all Perhaps in the know to an extent But they're not the top people They do what they're told And they're quite happy to do so They know they're conning the public But again they're happy to do so Listen to how this was introduced When they basically doubled the prices of everything and confiscated something which people thought was so sovereign they couldn't do that it was a a breach of human rights to take your wealth from you well they can do whatever they want to after all they run the money they owned the gold they own the silver they own the paper listen carefully
1: Speaking to you at this time from the Oval Room of the White House in Washington, D.C. Through the facilities of its combined network from coast to coast, the National Broadcasting Company is about to bring you an address by the Chief Executive of the Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States.
2: My friends, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking to talk with the comparatively few who understand the mechanics of banking, but more particularly with the overwhelming majority of you who use banks for the making of deposits and the drawing of checks. I want to tell you what has been done in the last few days and why it was done and what the next steps are going to be. I recognize that the many exclamations from state capitals and from Washington the legislation, the treasury regulations, and so forth, couched for the most part in banking and legal terms, ought to be explained for the benefit of the average citizen. I owe this in particular because of the fortitude and the good temper with which everybody has accepted the inconvenience and the hardships of the banking holiday. And I know that when you understand what we in Washington have been about, I shall continue to have your cooperation as fully as I have had your sympathy and your help during the past week. First of all, let me state the simple fact that when you deposit money in a bank, the bank does not put the money into a safe deposit vault. It invests your money in many different forms of credit, in bonds, in commercial paper, in mortgages, and in many other kinds of loans. In other words, the bank puts your money to work to keep the wheels of industry and of agriculture turning round. A comparatively small part of the money that you put into the bank is kept in currency, an amount which in normal times is wholly sufficient to cover the cash needs of the average citizen. In other words, the total amount of all the currency in the country is only a comparatively small proportion of the total deposits in all the banks of the country. What then happened during the last few days of February and the first few days of March? Because of undermined confidence on the part of the public, there was a general rush by a large portion of our population to turn bank deposits into currency or gold. A rush so great that the soundest banks couldn't get enough currency to meet the demand. The reason for this was that on the spur of the moment, it was, of course, impossible to sell perfectly sound assets of a bank and convert them into cash, except at panic prices far below their real value. By the afternoon of March 3rd, a week ago last Friday, scarcely a bank in the country was open to do business. Proclamations closing them in whole or in part had been issued by the governors in almost all of the states. It was then that I issued the proclamation, providing for the National Bank holiday. And this was the first step in the government's reconstruction of our financial and economic fabric. The second step, last Thursday, was the legislation, promptly and patriotically passed by the Congress, confirming my proclamation, and broadening my powers so that it became possible in view of the requirement of time to extend the holiday and lift the ban of that holiday gradually in the days to come. This law also gave authority to develop a program of rehabilitation of our banking facilities. And I want to tell our citizens in every part of the nation that the National Congress Republicans and Democrats alike showed by this action a devotion to public welfare and a realization of the emergency and the necessity for speed that it is difficult to match in all our history. The third stage has been the series of regulations permitting the banks to continue their functions to take care of the distribution of food and household necessities and the payment of payrolls. This bank holiday, while resulting in many cases in great inconvenience, is affording us the opportunity to supply the currency necessary to meet the situation. Remember that no sound bank is a dollar worse off than it was when it closed its doors last week. Neither is any bank which may turn out not to be in a position for immediate opening. The new law allows the 12 Federal Reserve Banks to issue additional currency on good assets. And thus the banks that reopen will be able to meet every legitimate call. The new currency is being sent out by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in large volume to every part of the country. It is sound currency because it is backed by actual good assets. Another question that you will ask is this. Why are all the banks not to be reopened at the same time? The answer is simple, and I know you will understand it. Your government does not intend that the history of the past few years shall be repeated. We do not want and will not have another epidemic of bank failures. As a result, we start tomorrow, Monday, with the opening of banks in the 12 Federal Reserve bank cities. Those banks which on first examination by the Treasury have already been found to be all right. That will be followed on Tuesday by the resumption of all other functions by banks already found to be sound in cities where there are recognized clearinghouses. That means about 250 cities of the United States. In other words, we are moving as fast as the mechanics of the situation will allow us. On Wednesday... And succeeding days, banks in smaller places all through the country will resume business, subject of course to the government's physical ability to complete its survey. It is necessary that the reopening of banks be extended over a period in order to permit the banks to make applications for the necessary loans, to obtain currency needed to meet their requirements, and to enable the government to make common sense checkups. Please let me make it clear to you that if your bank does not open the first day, you are by no means justified in believing that it will not open. A bank that opens on one of the subsequent days is in exactly the same status as the bank that opens tomorrow. I know that many people are worrying about state banks that are not members of the Federal Reserve System. There is no occasion for that worry. These banks can and will receive assistance from member banks and from the Reconstruction Finance Corporation, and of course, they are under the immediate control of the state banking authorities. These state banks are following the same course as the national banks, except that they get their licenses to resume business from the state authorities, and these authorities have been asked by the Secretary of the Treasury to permit their good banks to open up on the same schedule as the national banks. And so I am confident that the state banking departments will be as careful as the national government in the policy relating to the opening of banks and will follow the same broad theories. It is possible that when the banks resume, a very few people who have not recovered from their fear may again begin withdrawals. Let me make it clear to you that the banks will take care of all needs, except, of course, the hysterical demands of hoarders, and it is my belief that hoarding during the past week has become an exceedingly unfashionable pastime in every part of our nation. It needs no profit to tell you that when the people find that they can get their money, that they can get it when they want it, For all legitimate purposes, the phantom of fear will soon be laid. People will again be glad to have their money where it will be safely taken care of and where they can use it conveniently at any time. I can assure you, my friends, that it is safer to keep your money in a reopened bank than it is to keep it under the mattress. The success of our whole national program depends, of course, on the cooperation of the public, on its intelligent support, and its use of a reliable system. Remember that the essential accomplishment of the new legislation is that it makes it possible for banks more readily to convert their assets into cash than was the case before. More liberal provision has been made for banks to borrow on these assets at the reserve banks and more liberal provision has also been made for issuing currency on the security of these good assets. This currency is not fiat currency. It is issued only on adequate security, and every good bank has an abundance of such security. One more point before I close. There will be, of course, some banks unable to reopen without being reorganized. The new law allows the government to assist in making these reorganizations quickly and effectively, and even allows the government to subscribe to at least a part of any new capital that may be required. I hope you can see, my friends, from this essential recital of what your government is doing, uh, doing, that there is nothing complex, nothing radical in the process. We have had a bad banking situation. Some of our bankers had shown themselves either incompetent or dishonest in their handling of the people's funds. They had used the money entrusted to them in speculations and unwise loans. This was, of course, not true in the vast majority of our banks, but it was true in enough of them to shock the people of the United States for a time into a sense of insecurity and to put them into a frame of mind where they did not differentiate but seemed to assume that the acts of a comparative few had tainted them all. And so it became the government's job to straighten out this situation and to do it as quickly as possible, and that job is being performed. I do not promise you that every bank will be reopened, or that individual losses will not be suffered. But there will be no losses that possibly could be avoided, and there would have been more and greater losses had we continued to drift. I can even promise you, promise you salvation for some at least of the solid pressed banks. We shall be engaged not merely in reopening sound banks, but in the creation of more sound banks through reorganization. It has been wonderful to me to catch the note of confidence from all over the country. I can never be sufficiently grateful to the people for the loyal support that they have given me in their acceptance of the judgment that has dictated our cause, even though all our processes may not have seemed clear to them. After all, there is an element in the readjustment of our financial system more important than currency, more important than gold and that is the confidence of the people themselves. Confidence and courage are the essentials of success in carrying out our plan. You people must have faith. You must not be stampeded by rumors or guesses. Let us unite in banishing fear. We have provided the machinery to restore our financial system, and it is up to you to support and make it work. It is your problem, my friends... Your problem no less than it is mine. Together, we cannot
1: fail. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States has spoken to you from the White House in Washington, D.C. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
2: Wally, have we been (laughs) tookin? People, we've really been tookin'.
0: There you have it. The next time you'll hear it spoken by someone different You'll be able to relate it to the same old con The con that's run the world for thousands of years Only with our cooperation And the way we acquiesce by our silence Sorry for the rushed blurb tonight But with the storms and all the rest of it Power outages, restarting everything, it's the best I can do. From Hamish and myself, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.
1: When the idle poor become the idle rich, you'll never know just who is who or who is which. Won't it be rich when everyone's poor relative becomes a Rockefeller-tiff and palms no longer itch? What a switch! When we all have hermit and plastic tea, how will we determine who's who underneath? And when all your neighbors are upper class, you won't know your Joneses from your... Our stars, let's toast the day, the day we drink that drinky up. But with the little pinky, of the day on which the <laughs> idle become I'll the idle be rich. When a rich man doesn't want to work. work He's a bon yes, he's a bon vivant, but when a poor man doesn't want to work, he's a loafer, he's a lounger, he's a lazy good for nothing, he's a jerk. When a rich man loses on a horse, isn't he the sport, oh, isn't he the sport, but when a poor man loses on a horse... He's a gambler, he's a spender, he's a lowlife, he's a reason for divorce. When a rich man chases after dames, he's a man about town. Oh, yes, a man about town. But when a poor man chases after dames, he's a bounder, he's a rounder, he's a rotter, and a lot of dirty names. When the idle poor become the idle rich You'll never know just who is who or who is which No one will see the Irish or the Slav in you For when you're on Park Avenue Cornelius and Mike look alike When poor Tweedledum is rich Tweedledee this discrimination will no longer be When we're in the dough and off of the nut You won't know your banker from your butler Come on, Philean! Come on, Fillion. Yeah, Philean! Yeah, Fidian. With just a few annuities, we'll hide those incongruities in quotes from Abercrombie Fitch.